Hey, Dr. Madati, the What Rules Leadership Conference is coming up on October 25th. I am so psyched, Alisa. I can't wait to hear from our speakers, Tanika Cabral from the Coca-Cola Company, Tier Suzuki from EY, and Lili Valleta from Culture Plus Group. I'm excited for our workshops led by Monique Leno from Albertsons Companies and you, our very own Dr. Madari Simeon. Yes, I'm so excited. We are going to have workshops for the multicultural women attending and managers who are attending who are not multicultural but want to support women of color. So get ready for an amazing event on October 25th. Register now at whatrolespodcast.com. Hey everyone, we're so glad you're here. I'm Elisa Monjadas. I'm a marketing leader and executive coach. I'm Courtney Copeland, and I'm an accountability and wellness coach. And I'm Dr. Mirari Simeon, an activator of talent, HR executive, author, and working mom. If you're anything like the successful multicultural women we interview on the What Rules podcast, you've learned that you can't do it alone. And we teach women like yourself to outsmart the game to get ahead in your career. We're really talking about those rules that we grew up with as women and expectations that have been placed on us. Our mission is to change the face of leadership at What Rules Podcast. As you listen to our talented guests, take note and take action. Go ahead, go and break those rules. I am on vacation right now, technically. My whole family came to visit. We got an Airbnb, my brother, my mom, my dad, we all came. And this week is like golf week. Every day has been golf. We went to the golf superstore. My dad right now, I'm able to do this podcast because he's getting fitted for a putter. Oh my gosh. And uh, <laughs> we play top golf. I mean, it's been a whole thing. What are your all golf experiences? I have none. <laughs> but but I've been wanting to do top golf forever. Oh my gosh, it's so fun. I got to go. For years I've been promising my husband that I would start playing golf and 2 weeks ago after buying all the cute outfits <laughs> and the shoes and the golf bag and every all the other stuff we went on vacation to Casa de Campo in Dominican Republic and I did my first 18 holes at Teeth of the Dog, and it was the best place to actually start to play golf because it was off the ocean. Uh, it's just phenomenal. Oh, that is awesome. So I would love to learn how to golf. I'm married to a golfer. Do you watch tournaments with your husband? <laughs> yes, but he's serious when he wants to go play golf. And I, I think I could last nine holes, but 18 holes is a little bit too much. So I went golfing with this customer, and by the fifth hole, he says to me, he goes, Yvonne, tell you what, you drive the golf cart, <laughs> we'll golf, <laughs> go take a few lessons, then come back. Oh, no. Oh, <laughs> How no. did you feel about that? Were you like, yeah, I agree? Or <laughs> Oh, I, I just busted up laughing because I told him, I said, look, I said, I've never held a golf club in my hand. And I said, this is like, and he was like, oh, no. Oh, come with us. Okay, these guys are like scratch golfers. Oh my gosh. And they and they're and they're and they're super super intense, like very serious and I I laugh. Right? Like <laughs> Yeah, so I do want to take lessons so that I don't embarrass myself the next time. 
Yeah, it's definitely not easy, but um, I enjoyed it. We did it as a family, so the kids did it as well, and they're a lot better than I am. The beach helped. Listen, the views helped. Absolutely. <laughs> the views and knowing you're on vacation. It's like Absolutely. No pressure. <laughs> yeah, I grew up in a golfing family. My grandparents, my uncle, my dad, since he was nine years old, my, and now my brother's starting to get into it. And I was actually on the varsity golf team in high school. Wow. Um, go, Alisa. <laughs> so cool. I forgot everything. <laughs> if we go to Top Golf, I can definitely teach you how to swing. Let's you know, start with that. I can do that. There you go. <laughs> there used to be a program at Pebble Beach every year, and it was designed by a woman golfer for women. She actually wrote quite a few articles, and her whole theory was if you're a woman, you should come to this class because the swing for females is very different than for a male body and a male structure and the way you stand and how you leverage your weight. And and unfortunately, I think she's retired now, but I've been on the hunt for a, you know, for women, by women golf class. That is really cool. We need yeah. to research that. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. I want to do that. And then we can all go. <laughs> I know. Yeah. It sounds like fun. But the she, What hey. Rules Golf Tournament? Oh, my gosh. There my you go. I'm, I'm down. I think that's our next conference. <laughs> I think that's our next conference. <laughs> Hi, my name is Yvonne Valdez, and I'm the Chief Channel Officer for Sorensen Communications. I'm a Cuban-American. I was actually born in Havana, immigrated to the United States when I was two. I had a passion for technology, but I didn't study engineering. I have a clinical psychology degree. But when I graduated, I really wanted to work in technology in Silicon Valley. So I moved to California. I made 40 phone calls to get my first job. Whoa. Sounds like someone I know on this podcast. <laughs> no, so the recruiter said to me on the 40th day, he said, if you don't get the job after I get you the interview, don't ever call me back. And he and I are good friends. And I got offered the job at the interview. I've always been intrigued by international business. And like I mentioned, I love tech. So I started my career in semiconductors. I moved up to systems and software. And then right before I came to Sorensen, I actually ran the cloud service provider for Schneider Electric, where we actually build data centers. <laughs> So I got what? into that's, that's so cool. Incredible. So I got into oh the electrical side um, and data center construction. So my husband always says, he goes, "You look good in orange, but you didn't look cute in that orange vest and the hard hat." <laughs> <laughs> Obviously, we know why you're here. <laughs> you called the recruiter forty days in a row, and you had a degree that wasn't in tech. What was behind all that? Most people would look and say, I have a psychology degree and that's all I can do. And a lot of us, including myself, like we think about ourselves in one way and we feel trapped, like that's it. So what was it about you that like felt like you could break that rule? So I, I think it has a lot to do with the way I was raised. My parents have always told me, don't let basically the walls hold you in. Think outside the box. 
And if you have an aspirational goal, work for it. So what I did when I saw this job listed, it was to be the product manager for Gatorades. A lot of people don't know what a Gatorade is, but it's a custom integrated circuit. I had a neighbor who was an engineer and I went one night and I said, I need a favor. I want to interview for this job. He said, but you're not an engineer. And it says, you must be a BSEE. And he said, and you don't have design experience and you don't have, and I said, I know, but I can learn this. I'm smart. So he tutored me for two weeks every night after work for two or three hours. And he actually taught me a lot about integrated circuit. And I remember we had a little whiteboard And he would actually draw circuits, and he taught me the difference between a standard circuit and a custom circuit. So I had a comprehension of what it was that I was going to be dealing with in this company. However, when they had the job description, they talked a lot about customer experience. And to me, they didn't have a problem with technology. They had leading-edge technology The issue they had was, how are they treating their customers? How are they communicating with their customers? So what I leveraged from my upbringing, I grew up in a family-owned business. My dad was a public accountant. My mom was an insurance broker. And my dad had this poster in the bathroom wall that said, the customer's the king. And I explained to this VP of the division, I said, The person you need doesn't need an engineering degree. What you need is somebody who could speak to customers, understand their request, fulfill them, and delight them. And he literally, he looked at me, he smiled, he said, you're absolutely right. And he said, can you start on Monday? No. I love how you showed up for yourself in that moment. And it's like bringing your own uniqueness and your own background to show someone, hey, like I can do this. And I just love how persistent you were. Like you didn't waver at all. And I think that persistence is really hard to maintain, especially in a job search. And your story actually reminds me from my very first job. I showed up to the store almost every weekend for like four months checking on my job application because they didn't call me back. And I was like, I really want this job. I really need this job. And so I'm curious you know, how would you advise our listeners to stay persistent when they're in that situation? That's a great question, Courtney, because I believe that today it's it's more difficult to stay persistent and connected if you're applying for a job because everything is digital. So there's no human in the middle. The humanness has been removed out of the equation. And so in today's workforce, what I would say it's network. You got to find your network of all your people in your environment or the friends of friends who are connected to those companies, those corporations that could actually make a phone call on your behalf to say, hey, you should interview Courtney. And the network is critical. And, you know, outside of work, I do a lot of work with High Tech Global, the High Tech Foundation. I serve on the board of Conectado, which is Guillermo Diaz's new venture. And the, the critical piece for young adults, or actually if you're in a career today and you want to swap careers, look for your transferable skills, formulate that network, and allow the network to help you. I like that you said humanness. It's something that I talk to a lot of my clients about. 
especially in a job search. And I just really appreciate you bringing in that perspective because it's true. It is that secret sauce that's like at the end of the day, every business decision is still based on relationships and connection. And you can be professional and still bring in your own uniqueness and your personality. And we talk about that so much in this podcast. Like don't deny your uniqueness. Like bring all of you into that space because we're needed. Our differences are needed. Absolutely. You know, what I love about your example is that, yes, you prepared for the technical side of it, but you were so intentional in listening and understanding what their real need was that you challenged them. Like, no, this is what I think you need. And you were right. And I think there's so many times where we're afraid to either challenge authority or just say, no, I think this is what you need based on what you're telling me. And that's what got you the job. I challenge my friends that are in the HR field all the time. I say, you write a job description and you say, must have, blah, 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 blah. Are you looking for transferable skills? What are the problems that you're trying to solve in the business or with that position? If you're looking for somebody who actually needs creative energy and thinking out of the box, you don't want the status quo, right? You want somebody who's going to be a rule breaker and a disruptor. And then when you're going into new markets, and, and this is something that's always fueled my career. I was at Sun Microsystems for 14 years, and many people always ask me, why were you there for so many years? I said, because they knew what Yvonne was made of. So every time there was a new business unit or a business problem that needed to be challenged, they'd call me, they'd throw me into the middle of the project because they knew I, I tend to leave my ego at the door. And that's a key thing. The higher up that you go in organizations, you'll be asked to solve problems and you need to check your ego in the door. It's not about you or your title. It's what is the best for the company, the shareholders, and the customers. And they knew that that's the way that I was dialed. So I had some great, great jobs inside of Sun because if they know I have no fear of failure. So it's like, okay, let's throw her in. Let's see if she can make it work. It seems like you've had that throughout, like for so long, like there's something in you that's like, you know what? It doesn't make sense, but I know I can do this. And it's interesting that you brought up ego too, because I think that ego is also what sets its back. If there's an area where you're not sure if you're going to win or lose, then if, if you have a high chance of losing, that's your ego holding you back. And you set it aside and push forward no matter what. You've won so many awards in your area. And obviously, it has paid off for you to just have that bold, forward-moving momentum. No, I appreciate and thank you for the acknowledgement of my awards. But there's also been failures, right? So I actually was VP of sales for a company back in the day, we were developing a 500 megahertz by CMOS microprocessor. 
early, early before 500 megahertz was even I'm sorry, possible. I'm going to interrupt you. I think it's hilarious when you say all these technical terms, and I'm thinking about your psychology degree. <laughs> like, I just, I'm I love like, it. It just makes me giggle hearing it. <laughs> My husband says, you're not an engineer, but you think like an engineer. <laughs> but, but it was interesting. I was interviewed by Fast Company, and they did an article, Failure's an Option, And you have to learn from your failures. The failures are the best part of advancing your career and advancing your expertise. Because you can look back, reflect, and say, okay, here were the telltale signs. The market was shifting. Apple wasn't going to be licensing their technology. We should have re-looked at this a little bit earlier. We should have contingency plans. But you go through it. So. When you have a failure, don't let it knock you down. Sit back, you know, make some notes. What did you learn from it? What could you have done differently? And in some instances, by the way, it's not in your control. It's in the control of the shareholders, the market, the investors, the executive team. So you can't take it personal. So you have to be able to kind of put it aside, say, okay, this isn't personal. This isn't about me failing company just didn't make it. Yvonne, I have a question for you because we heard about your awards and just your career and you can obviously learn anything. You're just phenomenal and somebody to admire. One of our themes is don't do it alone. Can you tell us how do you feel about not doing it alone? And what does that mean to you, actually? Oh, that's a great question. And it actually gives me chills because when I think about not doing it alone, that recruiter, and his name is Michael Nielsen, he's a good friend. He was the first in my journey, right? He was my first sponsor without knowing who in the world was Yvonne Valdez. I mean, he had never seen me. We didn't have video calls then. It was just a phone call, right? So he was a big supporter and sponsor. I really took to heart what he said to me. If you get in there and you don't get the job and they tell you you're not qualified, don't call me back. So I had a commitment to him for opening the door that, no, you open the door. I'm getting in there and I'm staying in, right? Love that. And every single move that I've had, I've had a, I'll call it a sponsor slash mentor. So my mentors have given me some fantastic advice. And at every single job, I've always secured one or two. As we all know, your sponsors are the ones that they talk behind your back. They bring you those opportunities. And then your mentors are the ones that give you the reality check. And at Sun, I had one, one of the EVPs who was my mentor. She sat me down one day and she said, there's a business opportunity that we'd like you to go lead. And I was leading sales for the telecommunication segment. Very profitable business, the top segment for the company. And I said, but if I take this other role, I'll be an individual contributor going back to the ego, right? So I had this team, big revenue. And she said, I know, but you do realize that 
in order to get to the top, sometimes you have to take a sidestep, then develop some more, and then you go, and that'll actually propel you one or two levels above. And that has always stayed with me. And I always give that guidance to people that I mentor because I say, if you're offered an individual contributor role, question the why. Why are you being considered for this role? And is it a career growth and expansion for you? For me, it was huge. I went from sales to running a services product line. And I was like, you're taking me from the field to corporate. I have prided myself on building this bench of mentors and advisors because if a new opportunity comes, I pick up the phone and call them and say, okay, you know me. What do you think about this? Should I take that next step or should I just paddle away and say thank you, but this isn't for me? So you have to build a community that knows you And also knows your aspirations. You know, be vulnerable. You need to tell people what you want to be. What is your dream? What is your ambition? I mentored a young man a few years back who told me that his dream was to be director of sales. And I said, you know, show me your resume. He showed me his resume. I said, none of your accomplishments are on your resume. Why? And in our culture, right? He viewed us as bragging. He said, I can't brag. And I said, but it's not bragging. You've actually accomplished all these things. Two years later, he's actually director of sales. What? In two years? Two years. If you want something, if that's your dream, why are you keeping it in your heart or in your head? Tell people. Because our community is a very tightly knit community and we love helping each other. Hey, it's Elisa. I run a B2B creative agency called Stories Bureau, and we work with executives like you every day to make sure their presentations have the wow factor. Our designers and strategists help tell compelling stories that impact big business decisions. Let's get real, ladies. If you're a woman of color in leadership, you know that you're expected to perform above and beyond the norm. So let's get started at storiesbureau.com. One of the things that you mentioned is bragging, right? As a Latina, it took me a long time for me to realize it is not bragging when you're stating the facts, number one. And number two, if you want to be a role model to other people so that they could see the possibilities, you have to talk about your accomplishments. And I mean, research in general just says women, at the end of the day, they have a hard time talking about their accomplishments. And when you add the culture to it, it's even stronger. Do you have an example from a cultural perspective of a time where, or maybe when you realized it, that I have to talk about my accomplishments because, or was it always the mentors? Tell us. That's a great point because I will tell you that there is such a shortage of women in technical sales. And every time I've tried to hire women, I would go to HR and say, why don't I have any females applying? I literally would purposely go out and search women and bring them in to interview. And and they would say to me, but I only have four of the 10 things that you want in this job. And I said, why do you say that? And I'd go through their background and their experience and their deliverables. And I'd say, you actually have elements of all of them. But yet I would have a male colleague apply for the job 
They couldn't even have one of the 10. And they would tell me that they were the right person for the job. So the counsel that I give folks is don't think about it as bragging. Keep a file of all your successes. So every time somebody sends you a note and says, was great working with you on this project, blah, 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 stick that in a folder. And do yourself a favor and once a quarter, be good to yourself and read your folder. Okay, I have to tell you something that I do. This has nothing to do with work. (laughs) But whenever I'm on a dating app and someone gives me a really nice compliment, like about my hair or my eyes or my smile, I screenshot it. I don't care who it was, but I just save it. And and just so I can see all the like, you're so gorgeous. Just if I'm ever having a bad day, I can always go back to the screenshots and be like, you know what? I'm not so bad. (laughs) I love your vulnerability in sharing that. I will back you up and say I have a whole album on my phone that's affirmation over the years. Whether it's a birthday text, like a comment on a post, whatever it is, and it's my hey, like you can do this. And a reminder of like, this is who you are. It's okay. Take a breath. We need to continue to get reminded that how important it is for women and multicultural women to really speak up for themselves. One of the things that you said that I really loved is they had elements of those skills. And many of us, I know it happened to me, I learned later on in life is take a look at the skills that are looking for and what, based on my experience, which of those skills are transferable into what they're looking for? And a lot of the times I find that either we do not know how to speak to those skills and how they translate. So this is why it's so important to have mentors who yes. can say, hey, this is what you're saying here. You actually have these skills. People believe that different industries, they're totally different. No, you can learn products, you can learn services, okay? I went from the Gatorades to systems to software to disaster recovery to building data centers and construction. Never in my wildest thoughts did I ever think I would be running a team that sold basically all the infrastructure to build data centers. So that's what I try to teach people that I mentor is Back to the transferable skills. What are your transferable skills? And then they'll say to me, but I aspire to go work at, I'll say, ServiceNow. But right now I work at Kellogg. Okay, what do you do at Kellogg? And how do we take what you do at Kellogg and basically bring that skill set to a tech company? When I was in college, I studied fashion. I wanted to have a fashion magazine. I started fashion merchandising. Then I went to communications and I had to take all these PR classes. And then I changed my mind at the, at the end of the journey. I decided it wasn't the road I wanted to take, but I had all this knowledge. And my first like real job was in construction. And I took the company and got them in all these construction magazines and wrote articles about concrete as a structural option and all this stuff. And it was because I knew how to do it. I knew the PR side and I just transferred it to construction. And the uh, owner of the company was like, you've gotten us so much press. We really look like the experts and we won all these national awards. And I mean, we earned the awards, but they would have never even thought 
to look for those opportunities if it hadn't have been for all those PR classes I took for fashion. Something else I learned about you. I had no idea. First, I learned about the golf. <laughs> then now it's uh, construction. <laughs> Lisa, you have so many fun facts. I feel like I don't know you anymore. <laughs> I was just going to say that, Courtney. <laughs> I was like, who are you? <laughs> I know we're coming to an end, but I just think what else is fascinating about Yvonne? You have nine grandchildren and you do all this. You leave work early and you're like not a work-life balance person. So can we just like end with talking about how you do that? Is it because you're at the top? Or is it because of a, like a mindset that you think anyone can have? I think it's a mindset that anyone can have, and you have to leverage technology. When I married my husband and we combined our household, together we had three children. And two were in high school, one was in junior high. My husband was working full-time, I was working full-time. This was back in 98. I was working for Sun Microsystem, and Sun had gone totally remote. So I had the opportunity to work from home, and... I would actually take three to five every afternoon to do the rounds, pick up kids, drive them to soccer, volleyball, whatever they had. Then we'd have a meal, and then Yvonne would go back to work because I was working on these huge international proposals. You probably don't remember Pets.com and the early days of grocery deliveries. I used all those services, right? So I had groceries being delivered, so I didn't have to go to the store. I didn't have to give up my Saturdays. I had pet food being delivered because back then we actually had two dogs, a cat, and a rabbit. I learned all about meal deliveries. That was long before Uber Eats or any of these. But there were groceries stores that actually would prepare. They'll bring you a rotisserie chicken and mashed potatoes. So if I knew my husband's meeting was going to be late, and I was going to be on conference calls, have no fear, the meals would arrive, right? So take advantage of the services. Don't be ashamed on the day that you have to bring cookies to the school. If you bought store-bought cookies, it's okay. The world's not going to end. The first time we had to bring cookies, our youngest daughter, she said, Mom, all the other moms they brought homemade cookies and you bought them from Safeway. I brought cookies, didn't I? She's like, <laughs> yes. And I go, that's what matters. I go, work smarter, not harder. Yeah, work that's smarter, right. not harder. So then I got smart and that, then I would buy the cookies the night before and I put them on a really nice platter. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. But the choice was, do I spend time baking or spend time with the kids at night, you know, socializing, listening about their day? Balance, I think, is an overused word because there are times that family is going to basically take a lot of your effort and energy, and it needs to. And there are other times where, you know, you've got a crisis at work, and that's when you need to figure out, okay, so how do I balance this? That three to five every afternoon that I carved out when the kids were young, they still remember that because from three to five every day, Literally, I wouldn't take phone calls. I had it blocked on my calendar. I didn't take lunch. 
So I used to use part of my lunch hour. And my boss, basically, I worked for a man that, who was extremely supportive of spending time with your family. So when they knew when I picked them up at school, it was about them. I love that. And thank you for sharing that. I, I read this article by Harvard Business Review, and it was titled something like work-life balance is a cycle and not an achievement. And the one thing I remember and resonated with everything that you're saying is one of the things they talked about is pause and denormalize. And that's exactly what you did. It's like you paused and you said, you know what? I'm going to outsource this. I mean, you were outsourcing work before it was cool. Exactly. Let's just right? talk about that. <laughs> you can probably teach a class on all this. And it's great because it's really about reprioritizing and considering the alternatives and finally taking action on it. It's just yeah. so refreshing to hear your examples on how you can bring that to life every day. And it doesn't matter at what level you're in. What matter is how you, number one, denormalize it, mm -hmm. think about it, what is causing me stress, and what are the alternatives so that you can enjoy the quality time with your family. When I was at Schneider, I was traveling probably 80% of the time internationally. And um, I would order Christmas gifts online from the airplane, right? And then they'd show up at the house. My husband was like, when did you order this? I'm like, oh, from like, I guess I was across the Atlantic somewhere coming back. <laughs> but you have to let go of the norms. You know, I have to cook every meal. I have to cook every item. Holidays, I have to prepare everything. There's plenty of people that prepare them really well. Have them deliver it to you and enjoy, be present with your family. I mean, that frees me up hearing it. It's like affirming to me. And I'm a single person with no kids. But I also have two businesses that I'm building right now. And I want to have a life. I have friends and family and all of that. But every once in a while, I feel guilty. Like I have a one-bedroom house, but I have a cleaning lady <laughs> come once a month. I have meal service. I do delivery. It just makes me more efficient. I don't vacuum ever. <laughs> like I don't even know where it is because I've like <laughs> outsourced it. <laughs> Love it. I'm curious for myself, but also those listening who are building in their careers. Um, what we hear a lot is like, now's your time to grind. But we also hear a lot of people in their 20s and 30s are really burnt out. And listening to your perspective on this honestly frees me in so many ways. And I'm curious, what would you say to those people like myself and others who are in their grind and feel like there's, you can't give in a certain area because like there's this irrational thought, like everything has to happen now. It's now or never. You've got to do it all. <laughs> Don't think about it that way. So I worked for a man early in my career who was a yogi, and he would go on these three-week vacations, come back, and this was back in the days where we had inboxes and faxes. He would take his inbox and literally put it in the trash. <laughs> and I was like, aren't you worried that, like, those things are urgent. He goes, Yvonne, anything that is urgent, it will reappear. Whew. <laughs> okay. I, 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 like, I felt like, like panic stricken. Yes, um, I am panicked right now. But, <laughs> right? But there is meaning to what he said in that 
first of all, you can't solve every problem. Not everything at work is urgent. I give this advice to my employees when I notice that they're a little bit like, you know, stressed out, tensed up. I'm like, okay, take a deep breath. What's the list of things you have to do? Okay. Out of those things, which ones really move the needle and are critical? Reprioritize. These other three things at the bottom of your list, if you don't do them this week, the world's not going to end. And it's interesting because we want to do everything. We are an instant on community. And social media, email, all these ways that people can connect with us, we feel compelled that we have to respond right away. And you don't have to. What happened to like waiting a few hours to actually respond to somebody? I tell people now, I take time to respond back to you because I want to process what you've sent me, internalize it, enjoy it. Maybe you're giving me a compliment. I want to enjoy it. If you've got a complaint, (laughs) I want to understand so that when I reach back out to you, it can be a meaningful conversation. But we're very used to this instant. I have to respond instantly. I don't think that that's a good way to lead. That's not a good way to operate. And for the, for the younger people today, I can see the tension. I could see the stress levels. And I don't know if corporations have placed this expectation, but it's this expectation of everything has to be done right now. And that's not the case. So ask. That's the other thing I tell my mentors. Please ask your bosses, what are the priorities for this quarter? If you're interviewing for a job, at the end of the year, if you hire me, what does success look like? What are the deliverables that you would want me to deliver to you? And I guarantee you that it's not going to be 100 things. We've learned so much. I've learned so much from you today. And I I mean, some of the things that I've learned from you today are you can learn anything. Just give me the opportunity and I can learn anything. The other thing that I learned from you is learn how to speak about your transferable skills. And most important, leverage those doors that open. Because when someone's opening that door for you, you still got to go and take action. From a work-life perspective, I learned to pause, reprioritize, and enjoy rising to the top while enjoying the things that matter. Want more advice on how to break the rules and outsmart the game to advance your career? Check us out on Instagram, YouTube, and our website, whatrulespodcast.com for more insight from our guests and hosts and join our community on LinkedIn where we discuss rule-breaking strategies for multicultural women. What Rules is a project of Zara Consulting and is supported by the amazing team at Stories Bureau. This episode was produced by Alexandra Uresta with editing and music supervision by Joshua Ramsey and was engineered and mixed by Tim Ballant. Our podcast cover was designed by Delion Creative. Visit whatrulespodcast.com for more info, upcoming events, and all episodes of What Rules, including video, and make sure to give us a follow.